They said it couldn't be done. They said you couldn't make a podcast that delivers both entertainment and information. In this world where information is mattering less and less, I give you true information from the vet off leash. Today's topic allergies. I'm very curious to hear how you're going to talk with authority about allergies, knowing that our five pound chihuahua's basic number one hobby is just to itch herself and lick herself. And you have never managed to solve this problem. (laughs) (laughs) We're actually going to address that on the podcast. Yeah. People stay tuned for the story of the five pound chihuahua. Are you going to share the real solution, the only solution that worked, which was to throw tiny cheese puff stuffed animal cheese puffs at her when she was licking from across the couch? Little tiny fake cheese puffs are soft. They're not going to hurt her, but they distract her. I've just incorporated it into my life. here with Dr. Cindy Bates. How long have you and I worked together? 14 years. 14 years. Going on 15. And you've been a veterinarian for how long? 23 years. 23 years. And I've been a veterinarian for 26 years. So between the two of us, we have 49 years of experience. Right. And we are here today to talk about skin allergies, which is a really exciting subject. And we're going to somehow make this interesting. It's exhilarating. People ask me what the most difficult part of my job is. And I have a very straight answer for them when they ask me that. Boredom. When I have to repeat the same thing over and over and over again, which to our clients is new, but to us... You've said it. Thousands of so times. many times. And I used to always joke, I need a tape recorder and I'll just hit play. So now I'm doing it. That's what we're doing today. So before clients see us for skin allergies, this is going to be required listening. So what we're about to say is extremely important. Generally, this podcast is informationally entertaining. Today, the emphasis is on informationally. No entertainment. <laughs> None. This is going to be so boring. <laughs> You're really going to want to listen to this one. (laughs) This one's going to be exhilarating. Hang on to your seats, people. Buckle in. So much info and no entertainment. this is going to be amazing. Okay. One of the most common things we see as veterinarians are skin problems. And the reason they're common is because allergies in dogs and cats are manifested as skin problems. And so I'm going to say the thing that I say over and over again. I'm going to say my thing that I say in the room. And then, Cindy, you kind of say your thing. Okay. Because we're never in rooms together. No. I, don't, I don't even know what you say I in rooms. I bet we say similar things, but we might. differently. So what I say is, it's like if a person, instead of having sniffly and sneezy and runny eyes, every time we had an allergy breakout, had itchy skin. Now think about how many people you know that have allergies and how many of them go to the doctor and are cured. None of them. So we manage it, we control it, which is why it's a pain to treat because it's very difficult to cure, basically. Correct. We control it. So that's my little shtick that I say. Let's let's kind of hear what your shtick is. Similar. I tell people that the allergy organ for people is their respiratory system 
predominantly, sometimes people get itchy skin too. And conversely, for dogs and cats, the primary allergy organ is their skin, and they can also get sniffles, but it's like flip-flop for humans and dogs. Right. Predominantly for dogs right. and cats, it's skin, and a little bit sniffles, right. and vice versa right. for people. Right. And same thing. There's no cure for it. There's just levels of management. Sometimes we manage it super well because it's mild or it's just seasonal. Sometimes we manage it minimally. And what are the things that animals can be allergic to? Anything in their environment, pollens, grasses, molds, house dust dander, mites. mites, but then also they can be allergic to things that they eat, usually the protein. Essentially, we, our pets, are exposed to things all day long. Our body should recognize this should be ignored. This is not dangerous. This is a problem. This is a threat. An allergy is an immune system that misrecognizes regular things as a threat and reacts to them causing inflammation itchy skin. And that's what we see. Itchy skin, broken out skin. So let's talk about the, the symptoms that we see. How do you know your dog has allergies? Usually itchy. Usually itchy, itchy feet. They'll chew, lick their feet, scratch and chew their ear, or chew their ears, scratch their ears, mm-hmm. lick their skin on their belly. Feet, butt. Mm-hmm. They chew their butt a lot. They'll and they're drag their booty on the ground. And there are, is a little bit of a body area. Oh, location mm-hmm. of the signal. The yeah. The location of the pattern. symptoms or the pattern. Gives you a little bit of an inkling into what type some of allergy of them, it is. Some of them overlap, like food allergy can make their ears and their feet really itchy. You're like, well, how did the feet get involved? Because feet can also be itchy with grass allergies because they're walking mm-hmm. on it. But mm-hmm. yeah, the feet kind of can be a little confusing. And sometimes. the saying for food is ears and rears. Mm-hmm. Their butt itches mm-hmm. and their ears itch. Usually also around the sides of their mouth where the food mm-hmm. goes in and where the food comes out. So you can run a blood test for environmental allergens. Right. You can draw blood or you can do a skin scratch test. Right. In private practice, generally we just draw blood. Blood. Easiest. Correct. If you're going to do a skin scratch test, you really need to see a dermatologist. Right. Slash allergist. Right. I mean, a veterinary dermatologist might as well be called a veterinary allergist. They're right. almost one in the same. Yes. But you cannot test for food. Now, here's the thing. You can test for food with a blood test, but that blood test is essentially worthless because unless they've eaten every food out there, you're not going to be able to test for it. So running a blood test for food allergies, there's there's no point. What is your perception of what clients think pets are allergic to versus what pets are actually allergic to? I don't know if a lot of owners think hard about it, but honestly, when I start questioning them or we start discussing food allergy, it's almost never the protein source Mm. that they think is the culprit. So the statistics are in a a pretty wide ranging study, the food allergies were beef 39% of the time for dogs, chicken 17% of the time, lamb 15% of the time, and wheat, corn, soy, other types of grains, 14% of the time. So the grain is higher than I thought. And the chicken is lower than I thought. And then cats are beef, chicken, and fish. Yeah. It's the things and that they are fed. never grains. Right. Most cat food is towards carnivore. Not like a, a cat lot, not is. a lot of yeah. grains. In it. Right. You inundate so, the immune system constantly with that same protein mm-hmm. over and over. It's going to develop an intolerance to it. So now what's your view on when people go to the pet store and say their pet has skin problems the type of advice they tend to get at the pet store? I think the problem with the pet store is not necessarily a problem. They're only giving out the advice that the distributor gave to them. They Mm -hmm. carry certain brands and the salesperson for that brand tells them all the benefits of their food. I don't know whose level of education is where, you know, the kid at the counter at the pet store is 19. I don't know. And high. (laughs) 
<laughs> <laughs> and just wants to go home. Um, and just, then the sales rep, you correct, know, just like, wants to go to the back of the building and vape <laughs> again. And you come up more. with your questions and then you walk into the office and tell us that you got some really good advice. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I went to, I, went, I want to say a pet store. I went to the pet store and they recommended X food and I'm like, you know, they probably all meant well. Nobody was, mm -hmm. you know, trying to steer you wrong on purpose, but. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the equivalent. Yeah, like I went to the grocery store and the person in the aisle really looked at my nutritional levels and recommended the following foods that I should buy at the grocery store. And, and you say that to your doctor. Right. If you want to figure out if your animal has an allergy to food, you have to put them on a strict, strict elimination diet. Nothing but that food. And how long do you tell people for? It's a minimum of two months, but really it's three if you I want to do same. it well. Mm -hmm. I say the same. And then I also say the problem is at the end of that two to three months, it's difficult to know if it's helped or not, because generally we're doing things because you've come in because your animal is symptomatic. Right. And so I'm prescribing something to help those symptoms. If we decide to do a food allergy at the same time, it's difficult to know if those symptoms have gotten better because of the food or because of what we've done or because the season has changed right. and they're not allergic to that seasonal allergen anymore. Right. When an individual's prone to allergies, when their immune system's all ramped up for one reason or another, they're more prone to developing additional allergies. Right. When they have environmental allergies, they very well could have food allergies too. And there's what we call a threshold effect. They can have several allergens stacked on each other. And sometimes if you just remove one or two, it could be enough to get them below the allergenic threshold. And the food that we recommend is a prescription diet. And what I explain is that there are elimination diets out on the market. There are people who are gluten sensitive and they just need to eat less gluten. But there are people who have celiac disease. And a little gluten. And, correct. And those people. Hospitalizes right. them. So we need a prescription diet made on a separate line to really know if it's made a difference. It is a major pain. You have to do nothing but. And if you have small children who are in a high chair and throw their food on the floor, don't bother because it's not going to work. <laughs> Same thing out in the backyard. Acorns, mushrooms, just grass. So elimination trials are hard for everybody. And now for environmental allergens, what are the things? Let's kind of list the things that we can recommend in order, like a ladder order, least to most. Right. So short of moving out of the environment that you're allergic to, say you have to stay, antihistamines, probably the easiest. Lowest rung in the ladder. Right. And least effective, usually, for dogs. Borderline useless. Yeah, but worth a try. Always not worth hurt. a try. It's always worth trying something useless. <laughs> it's not going to hurt. <laughs> That's right. It's not going to hurt is how all supplements are sold. That's right. right might as well do supplements. <laughs> Since when does it can't hurt mean that you get to do this as a medical treatment? Imagine if you went to your doctor and your doctor was like, well, listen, I don't really know what's going to help you, but I know what won't hurt you. It can't hurt. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Neither can eating dirt. Right. <laughs> right. Well, how about the decongestant that they've been selling to us for decades that apparently is useless? Which decongestant? The phenylephrine. I'm, I'm off of dogs now. I'm back on people. When they took Sudafed off the shelf and put it behind the pharmacy counter, then they put phenylephrine out right. as a decongestant. But the FDA just said it's useless. But Sudafed behind the counter oh, that works. you have to give your driver's license, that stuff works great. Yes, that's a great decongestant. Because mm -hmm, it's the precursor to methamphetamine. Right. It's phenomenally effective. Behind the counter now. 
But anyway, yes. I, for the record, I love that stuff. Before airplane flights, I take it before every flight. It's great. It makes my heart race. I can't. Oh, I love I get it. Jittery. Look, antihistamines worth a try. Maybe they won't do much. Don't forget topical stuff too. You just got to keep cleaning them. If they get allergens on them, it's important to wash the allergens off. Also, mm-hmm. another thing about allergies that makes it really annoying is that it takes a lot of work. It's not, it there's, not a, there's not a silver bullet. It's not like, oh, give me the shot. When you make a recommendation to a client, how often do they follow your instructions to the letter of the law, a little bit, a medium amount, a lot? I think it's mostly a little bit. Of course, I'm not home with them. After I leave them in the appointment, in the exam room, and they go home and do the things that I recommended or maybe don't do the things I recommended. I guess I can't say exactly what they did because I didn't go home with them. But when I have follow-ups, I feel like most people do a little bit. Rarely do they go all in. All in, Because all in is a lot of work. A lot of paying attention to itchiness levels. But do you try and tailor your advice to what's reasonable for that person? Yeah, I do. I start with this is... If you want to hit it hard, these are all the things. If whether it's time or commitment or finances that limit what the owner is willing or wanting to do. So if you go to see the dermatologist in town, they almost always recommend twice a week bathing because you wash the allergens off the dog's coat. You limit the exposure of the allergens on a little tiny dog. That's not that difficult. You just put them in a sink, but on a, on a 60, 70 pound dog, twice a week bathing is really difficult. Also, I think it's extremely effective to bathe them with the right shampoo. There are a couple of shampoos that actually decrease itching Mm -hmm. and you have to leave them on the coat for five to 10 minutes before rinsing. And I think they're extremely effective, just very labor intensive. Yep. That's super time. It's a difficult one. I do it and I've got to look at a clock and sit there. It's for my tiny dog. And the whole time she's trying to bounce out of the kitchen sink and commit doggy side. (laughs) (laughs) And it's terrifying. And they're slippery. And and she hates it. And she's looking at me with that look like, how can you be doing this to me? And I have to. 10 minutes is an eternity. 10 minutes is an eternity. I don't do 10 minutes. I start bathing her. And then once she's fully lathered, I wait five minutes and then I rinse, figuring the entire episode is about 10 minutes. Right. I sometimes put towels, if it's cold outside, in the dryer. And then I have dried, warm towels. That's quite spot-like. Do you remember the article where they interviewed me for how to bathe the dog? No. You don't remember How did I miss this? There was an article that was written locally about how to properly bathe the dog where I'm essentially, it's about me. I'm cited repeatedly how to bathe the dog. And you are an expert in dog bathing. I am. <laughs> I did not know this. So how could no, you, I didn't, you haven't I did read not, this article? No. Is this I, like in the Chronicle? Or I think you've read it. Statesman? <laughs> I think it was the New York Times. <laughs> Uh, but no, the warm towels, that's, that's a, that's nice a touch. touch. I mean, mm-hmm. that is really, well, Myrtle has a, my dog has a uh, bathrobe that you purchased for oh, her. Right. We got Myrtle about this. She, she use yes, it? Yes. Yes. She gets bath. out of the shower and she puts on her bathrobe and she uses it to waller. Millie does not have a bathrobe. Also fish oils. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of omegas. Mm-hmm. And there's data to show that it replaces the lipid layer in the skin or the fatty layer, which acts as a barrier towards allergens penetrating and causing a reaction. Mm-hmm. So we've got antihistamines, we've got frequent bathing, and we've got fish oil. Fish oil. Low level stuff. In terms of side effects, minimal to no side effects for any of these. Oh. You almost don't need to worry. Easy thing to do. And stepping it up a notch, I'd put, I say Apoquil, yeah, but some people say Apoquil. Oh, I say, I say Apoquil. I say Apoquil, which I'm almost certain is wrong, but I'm just stuck saying it. 
Well, no, I mean, if the A and there's only one consonant and then the O, so it really is a long A. It should be Apoquil. I think you're right. Seeing as my wife's a reading specialist, I'm going to go with Apoquil. I think Apoquil is technically right. generally people pronounce it Apoquil. I do say Apoquil. Okay. So we've established that I'm right here. (laughs) Yes. And I'm incorrect. Very important thing to establish (laughs) in this podcast. We're going to stick with the wrong pronunciation. Okay. Apoquil. And Cytopoint. Those are are cousins of each other. Right. Apoquil is a... Immunomodulator. mm -hmm. That's a fair way to put it. Basically, it blocks the molecule that causes the sensation of itch. And it blocks it at several different points. There is some mm anti-inflammatory, tiny bit, but mostly just stops the itch. What is your thought about long-term use of Apoquil? I've gone back and forth. When they first came out with it, it's been... Several years. Eight? nine years. My inclination was if it turns off the itch and it can prevent them from getting the skin infections. And I thought it was great. But then just like most of things with medicine, they go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Studies will come out and say, do this, do this. And then a decade later, like maybe, maybe not do that. <laughs> we think now do this. Right. And there was some data that long-term use of Apoquil increases a type of skin growth called a histiocytoma which is a benign skin growth. But then there was talk of it increasing a type of skin tumor called a mast cell tumor, which is actually a type of cancer. Right. Supposedly, according to studies, it does not increase mast cell tumors. But I am scarred because my tiny little chihuahua has bad allergies. And she, we were using quite a bit of Apoquil because it was really working for her. And she developed a mast cell tumor. Which, though, is the most common skin cancer in dogs, isn't that common in itty bitty. It's not very common in chihuahuas. chihuahuas. You never see it in chihuahuas. Mm -hmm. No, it's definitely a lab. It just seemed a little off. Yeah. And I stopped using Apoquil on her ever again. Though that's certainly not enough data to say that it causes a problem. But my general feeling for all drugs is use a drug as much as you need to. And if you need to use it all the time, then you do. But there's no such thing as a risk free drug. Right. So we have the cousin to Apoquil is called Cytopoint. Cytopoint is an injection, and it's this new family of injections called monoclonal antibodies. This is really the very exciting part of the podcast right now. Big in the news. Monoclonal antibodies. 2020. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Big, it's a new treatment in people, very big new treatment in animals as well. We've got several of these. The idea being that it's a single line of antibodies and it essentially bonds to the precursor molecule that causes itch and essentially shuts it off. And you give that injection every month to two months to sometimes even just a few times a year. Depends on the dog. Every individual is different, whether their season is spring and summer or is just 12 months out of the year. Mm -hmm. And I I like Cytopoint a lot. I do it too. I like it. Mm -hmm. I feel it's safety margins are wide. I haven't had any adverse effects that I know of. I like Next it a lot. level up is a drug called Tamarol P. Tamarol is an antihistamine, but has a little P in it, which is prednisone, which brings us to our big daddy of all drugs, big mama of all drugs, steroids. Corticosteroid. Cortico- not, not anabolic. Yes. There are two types of steroids. There are anabolic steroids and catabolic steroids. Anabolic are the kind that weightlifters take to get big and huge. Glucocorticoids are the kind that we prescribe. People always seem to conflate those two. They always think their dog is all jacked up on steroids. Like, oh, he's all jacked up on steroids. (laughs) (laughs) Though the cortisol release from the glucocorticoid from the corticosteroid can make you seem a little hyperactive, but not jacked up, not... Buff. Right. right. Well, <laughs> it also building muscle. it helps with arthritis right? and it helps with pain. And so they steroids feel have better. their place. Oh, mm-hmm. definitely. Yep. Sometimes I'll put a dog on 
steroids for allergies and figure out that that dog has arthritis because as soon as they stop it, the dog kind of gets old again again. and is doing great on the steroids. So steroids are great short term. Long term steroids are terrible. So they're a good drug to use as a bridge to get control, but you really try and avoid long-term use of steroids. They're not good for bodies long-term. Right. There's also a kind of a sidestep drug called atopica. Atopica is also an immune modulating agent. People who had organ transplants would take this drug. Keep them from rejecting. Because the idea was they couldn't be on steroids because steroids would so squash their immune system. So they needed a drug that was kind of in between. Right. Kind of put a little bit of a ceiling on the immune system. Suppress the immune system, but not suppress healing. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, we were trained to use steroids, injectable, long-acting steroids. It was effective. Mm-hmm. Something that now we never do. Hardly ever. And we used to do over 20 years ago quite a lot. Daily. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was really the Owners main thing Owners would just we ask had. for the shot. Mm-hmm. It was just the shot. The allergy shot. Right. Right. But yeah, like the new veterinarians just coming out of school. Well, now the pendulum has swung the other way. Because now the new veterinarians are so trained not to use injectable steroids that to them, injectable steroids are horrible. Right. We still never, I would say almost never use them, but every once in a blue moon, there's the perfect case and you just feel like, well, this is going to work. This is what's needed. I told you one time, a patient of yours needed steroids. (laughs) (laughs) I just was walking by. It was like a bedside consult. Oh yeah, from a that's distance. A very famous like, case. Oh, that's all. <laughs> it needs steroids. So yeah, it has its place. Now, lastly, there's allergy testing. So there's immune therapy, and that is where you test with skin scratch or blood. In a perfect world, you do both because by doing both, you increase your chances of really knowing the perfect immune therapy regimen. That's something you need to do through a dermatologist. And then you give either injections or oral drops. Why does that work? Because you are giving the immune system the thing that it's allergic to and hyposensitizing it. So if you start just giving it in teensy, tiny little bits till you finally flood the immune system, then it's just like, okay, forget it. I'm not even itchy when I see that anymore. You're you're making them make their own antibodies. That's why I like Cytopoint is because you're just giving them the antibodies antibodies right away. How often do you think it works? No one ever really sticks it out, I don't think. Because even if it is successful, they go through all the shots it takes. You slowly, gradually give them more and more and more of the thing they're allergic to. And you have to give it a year or more Mm -hmm. to see if it's going to be effective. And then even if it was marginally effective, I feel like sometimes owners just kind of peter out. And two years later, like, oh, yeah, how are those shots? Oh, yeah, we just stopped doing those. Were Were they not working? Oh, no, they were. We just... It just goes by the wayside. And then if you do pause in doing the hyposensitization injections before going back on them, you almost need to get the animal tested again because their allergens will have or allergies will have changed. So you can't just, oh, three years ago, my allergy profile was this. I stopped the shots. Just give them to me again. You got to start the whole process over again. You need to commit to at least one year before quitting. And you need to commit to, I'd say, somewhere in the order of 1000 to $1,500. Yeah, at least. At least. I wonder, are the range. sublingual less expensive than the injections? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. They're all expensive. If I'm not mistaken, the studies are 60 to 70% of the time that it's effective. The other problem is any benefit, it counts as effective. I mean, these are questionnaires. So people are like, well, yeah, sure. That helped a little bit. You're in the effective range. Yep. Worked. And certainly I have clients who it's 
been miraculous for right. it. It's yes. amazing. It yes. works really, really well. And then pure food allergies, what's the statistic on that? See, my impression was a pure food allergy is only the issue 10% of the time. Right. So only one in 10 times is changing the food going to help? Just the food, yep. If you only do that. Yep. Right. That, that's gonna, that, now, you can have a component that's a food allergy a lot more frequently than that. Right. So to be fair, it could help but it's not necessarily going to solve the problem. Right. Like recurrent ear infections. If they just keep coming in with ear infections, ear infections, sometimes just changing the food. Can... Recurrent ear infections is definitely the number one time yeah. when we change the food. That's definitely one I recommend. If you have constant ear infections, change the food. Yeah. When I see a dog who's been to multiple vets and I'm the second or third opinion and it's a chronic allergy and I could just, you know, glance through the records and see everybody's been doing the shampoos and all. when I go to show them how to do the ear wash or I go to show them how you bathe the dog, even though the dog has been afflicted with this problem and the owner has been afflicted with trying to help the dog with that problem for five or six years, they're not really doing everything right. There's a learning curve too, to how to really clean the ear correctly, how to really bathe and let the shampoo sit on the skin. The other thing I will recommend to some people, I don't know if you do this, is alcohol-free, scent-free baby wipes. If they can't bother to bathe their dog, wipe the dog's feet down a couple times a day. Just use those baby wipes and wipe the feet down because you're wiping the allergens off their feet. Those and pellets. that can be helpful. Yep. The longer you do this, the more you realize that medicine is really an art, not a science. That's right. And so... Information gets updated. Yeah. Cytology is important. The microscope is important. Right. We want to look for bacteria and we want to look for yeast and we want to look at the cells that are on the skin so that we can make a better diagnosis. And that's true for ear infections as well. We want to see what's growing in the right. ear. Then we tailor the medicine to the specific issue at that time. And just because you've had a yeast infection almost every time doesn't mean the next time it's going to only be yeast. So maybe the medicine that you had at the previous appointment might not be exactly the right medicine for this infection. Sometimes just overcleaning an ear. Sometimes you disrupt the skin barrier and you can cause an infection to proceed just because you did too much fussing. That's more in cats than dogs. You don't want to mess too much in a cat ear. Allergies are frustrating. There's no cure. It's terrible to say, but I kind of grimace yeah. when I see allergies because I know I'm not going to fix it. Right. And it's a really lengthy discussion. Mm -hmm. The same one that you already had four times earlier that day. Right. And four times earlier the day before, right. and four times earlier the day before. Right. Um, Must be what a dermatologist's life is like. That's all they say all day long. Yeah, I never really thought about that. I have a good friend who's a dermatologist. He's probably listening to this podcast right now. So boring. <laughs> <laughs> Just say the same thing all day how long. He, how does he get through it? That is Hey Hey You Say by Papas Fridas. Thank you to the band and thank you to Minty Fresh Label. Thank you to Dr. Cynthia Bates for joining us today. Took a little coaxing, but you got there. Thank you to my lovely wife, Terry. And now, not to disappoint, one final word from Amira Benarier. You need your own podcast. I would. I would just talk on it like uh -huh. this. I would have guests and I would just speak. Would you have listeners though? Myself. Ha, 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 ha.